Welcome to episode number 58, my friends. This is the one-year anniversary listener stories episode. But before we get into the stories, we'll talk a little Project Car of the Week and high-performance parts. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. You know, technically, last Tuesday, the 10th of November, marked the one-year anniversary of the podcast. So I actually owe a big thank you to you. Some of you guys have been with me from episode one. You've witnessed the evolution of this podcast from the very beginning. You've witnessed my successes and my setbacks. You've listened to my rants, my bad jokes, and maybe you've learned a thing or two along the way. No matter how long you've been listening to the podcast, Thank you for listening. The truth is, I do this podcast even if nobody was listening, but you guys all make it worth it, so thank you very much. It's actually crazy for me to think that every day, people all over the planet listen to Talking Mopars. That is insane to me. But before we get the show on the road, I have to shout out to every listener, everyone who has ever sent me their Mopar story to share on the show, everyone who has ever shared their story via my voicemail, all the people who have reached out to me just to say that they enjoy the show, and a very special thanks to all my guests that have been gracious enough to come on the show and tell us their Mopar stories and have a good time. So special thanks to Chuck and Matt McMurray of Hemipages.com and BuildMopar.com, Johnny Mopar, Blake Anderman of DIYHemi.com, Bud Kleppy of CarTech Books and the Scat Pack Club, and my pal Mike Coffey. Also, I can't forget to thank Rob Kibbe from The Muscle Car Place for having me on episode number 440 of his show. That was fun. There are so many people that I could sit here and thank, but I want you to know that if you have supported me in this podcast in any kind of way, I thank you so much for the support. My friends, my family, my wife, my daughter, thank you guys for just showing me love and support. It really means a lot to me. And the reach of this podcast you know, has spanned the globe. And that's an accomplishment in and of itself, and that wouldn't be possible without all of you. So a big thank you to every single one of you out there in podcast land. Thank you so much for listening. You're probably wondering what I'm doing for this first anniversary episode, and I'm going to be honest here and say that I really had no special plans for it. I can tell you that I have been promising to catch up on listener stories, and being a man of my word, that's what we're going to be doing here today, but not before the usual suspects of Project Car of the Week and High Performance Parts. And, you know, we'll close the show with a bunch of listener stories. So I also want to say that before we shut the show down, I do have a special announcement that you won't want to miss. So let's get this show on the road. You know by now that I like A-bodies. I own one, and that's what this week's Project Car of the Week is a 1970 Duster 344 speed car to be exact, and it was posted Sunday, November 15th at 12 p.m. on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page. Let's read the ad. 1970 Duster 344 speed, $11,000. Condition is listed as fair, and the title status is listed as clean. 
1970 Duster, original 344 speed matching numbers, 355 posi rear end, original factory tack, bucket seats, call for additional details. Once again, another seller calling a sure grip a posi, but we'll let him slide on this one. What's not to like about this project? 340 four-speed car that's numbers matching with rally gauges, a factory tack, bucket seats. You know, what a cool car. It checks nearly every box that I'd want checked in a 70 Duster. I just wish that the ad was more detailed and had more quality pictures, but that can be said about nearly every ad I see. I just, you know, don't think it's possible to have enough info or pictures on an online for sale ad. But what I can tell you is that I hate one thing about this car with a passion, and that's that somebody put an aftermarket sunroof in it. Boo, boo, boo. That bothers me, but that's okay. It's nothing that can't be fixed. You know, and look, A-bodies aren't everybody's cup of tea, and I understand that, but I believe this duster deserves a second chance. It's priced at eleven grand, which, you know, we can sit here and debate on whether or not that's a fair price, but I think it's an investment price. You may take a hit now, but if you're strategic about, you know, getting this car back on the road and maybe even restoring it, I think you could eventually squeeze a little bit of profit out of it should you ever decide to part with it. And, you know, when I do Project Car of the Week, I like to put myself into the position of a buyer and say, you know, well, if it were mine. And this time's no different. If I bought this thing, I would invest the money to restore it, you know, probably try to save some money by doing it myself if I had the skills. I feel like this one deserves to be saved. And I like dusters, especially numbers matching 344-speed dusters. Of course, you got to hit the seller with an offer. And because I'm a cheapskate lowballer, I'd try to cut the seller in half. You know, hey, what about five grand? You know, what about six grand? Is that crazy of me? Yes, absolutely. But that's my job as the buyer to try to get the car as cheap as possible. You know, I guess that's just a testament to my love for A-bodies too, because I don't see anybody really paying, you know, 11 grand for this thing. But I'd probably, I'd probably fork out close to that, you know, after some negotiation if you wanted to walk me up a little bit. But, you know, that's just my dedication to seeing these cars be saved, especially the truly special ones like this Duster. I think this Duster does qualify as a special car. It's a numbers car, it's got the right engine, it's got the right transmission, and it's not too often you see a nice duster on the road, you know what I mean? But ideally, I'd like to see this car priced closer to five or six grand, but I can already tell that the chances of that are probably pretty slim with this seller, unless he's got the car for another few weeks, then maybe he'll be willing to budge, but who knows? I know there's a good number of you out there saying it's crazy to buy an A-body project for anything over a couple grand, but times are changing, folks. These rare examples of Performance option Mopars are not getting any cheaper. We know that. Nor are they getting any more plentiful. We know that too. So the good investment strategy is to get them now while you can and hope your investment pays off if you intend to eventually sell it. But whatever the case, unless you're an A-body hater, I think you'd have a hard time not giving this duster the respect it deserves. It's a cool little performance machine worth saving. And that was Project Car of the Week, the 1970 Duster 344 speed car posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page Sunday, November 15th at 12 p.m. No Mopar left behind. This week's high-performance part belongs to the Dodge Charger Daytona Custom Tribute Cars from, please don't cringe here, Fast and Furious 6. Now, I didn't purposefully pick these cars to upset the purists, but rather I picked them because of the fact that the wing cars that so many of us love and cherish were honored once again on the big screen, even if it was simply a custom tribute car with some blasphemous modifications. 
These cars were in fact real chargers, but since real wing cars used for on-screen duties would have been completely ridiculous on so many levels, the cars were actually, and thankfully, tributes with many custom touches. The noses and the wings on these cars were 12 inches shorter than those on a real Charger Daytona, so no folks, the trunks will not open on these. The guts of the cars were stripped with custom tin work, roll cages, low back bucket racing seats, Magnaflow side exit exhausts, lowered with custom suspension front and rear, Brembo brakes, and 18-inch wheels. The front end minus the hood on the cars were actually custom fiberglass one-piece units with the hood using hood pins, and the pop-up headlights were ditched in favor of simple plexiglass covers to keep things simple on the cars. The custom touches don't end there with the shaved rain gutters, custom maroon paint jobs, and this is really going to piss off a lot of Mopar diehards, including myself. The cars had LS swaps. Yes, folks, LS swaps. What kind of BS is that? Oh, wait, there's more. Turbo 400 transmissions and four 9-inch rear ends complete the tragedies that were Dominic Toretto's Charger Daytona, with the exception of one that actually had a 5-speed in it. But these are probably the most bastardized wing car tributes ever built. But even with all these outlandish bastardizations, they still deserve to be discussed on high-performance parts because Dom's Charger Daytona is still one of the only wing cars. Actually, I, th I think it is the only wing car to ever be featured you know, and play a big part on a giant blockbuster movie. So that's pretty cool. There were actually more than just a couple built for the movie. In fact, there were actually seven, but only three and a half actually survived filming. And, you know, whether that's justice or tragedy is for you to decide. So that, my friends, was High Performance Parts. The Charger Daytona tribute cars featured in Fast and Furious 6. It's time once again for listener stories. This is my Hail Mary attempt at getting caught up with all of them, so let's not waste any time here. The first listener story I have is from Jan Rafferty. Here is Jan's story. Hey man, love the show. So here's my story. When I turned 16, my parents took me to get my first car. I saved up all my money and sold two of my quads and got about 10 grand. We went to a used car dealer and I picked out a 2009 Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited with a 3.7 V6. I had all these plans to make it a really cool first car. Fast forward about 10 months and I got into an accident and totaled the car. I had full coverage on the car and got paid for it, so I took my check and went online and found a 2008 Jeep Grand Cherokee 4.7 V8. I had always wanted a V8 and finally got it. After 6 months and about another 6 grand, I finally have the cool Jeep I wanted. Needless to say, I will forever be a Mopar owner. Jan Rafferty Hey Jan, thanks for sending in your story. I think a Jeep is a great first car. And it's funny because Jeeps have their own following in the Mopar community. I've actually owned a couple. My first Jeep was a 2008 Jeep Wrangler. Um, nothing special. It wasn't the Rubicon or anything, but it was fun. It was a soft top. I had a good time in that Jeep, and I learned really quickly that if you have a Wrangler, you wave to every other Wrangler on the road, and you feel a little sad when they don't wave back. <laughs> That's the old Jeep wave. I, I was totally new to that. I didn't realize that was a thing until I had a Wrangler, and I was like, why is everybody waving at me? But after that, I ended up getting a uh, 91 Cherokee that was supposed to be an off-road project that never saw any off-road at all. I ended up horse trading and eventually getting some cash to go get my dart. So I have had some Jeeps in the past. My wife is actually a fan of Jeeps. She's had a, a 2011 Jeep Liberty, and she now has a 2015 Jeep Grand Cherokee. And they've been great cars. So I'm a fan of Jeeps. 
And I think that a passion for any Mopar that you have is a good thing. So it's nice to see that you're passionate about your Jeep. Thanks for sending your story. Our next listener story comes to us from Austin Gone. Here is Austin's story. Hi, Chris. My name is Austin Gone. I'm 24 years old and wanted to tell you and the other listeners about my Mopars. I've been a Mopar enthusiast for as long as I can remember. My mom had a 1974 Plymouth Trail Duster. It was black with a 360 with an automatic trans. I don't know much about the truck since it got sent to the scrapyard over a family dispute after my grandpa passed away and my uncle got rid of the truck because it was on his property. The truck was supposed to be my first truck, and that truck is most likely what turned me onto Mopars. Either way, I always wanted one since that truck got taken, and I've always heard about my dad's old 1976 Dodge W100 Power Wagon, so I grew to love the older trucks. Well, as I got my license, I acquired a 2000 Dodge Dakota Quad Cab with a 360, which, by the way, I love the truck. actually still own it, but I met my wife around that time, and we spent years with this truck taking it everywhere, which in turn turned her into a Mopar enthusiast as well. We do a lot of off-roading, so this truck has seen a lot of its life with me and my wife. So about two years ago, me and the wife had been looking around for a newer Durango for her because I owe it to her to get a new vehicle for her since we got one of my other toys, which is my 96 Jeep Cherokee with the 4-liter and a 5-speed. As we are looking for a newer Durango for her, my buddy comes across this 1974 Dodge W100 Power Wagon for $800. It's blue, but not an original color blue. The original was more of a turquoise, kind of like a Forest Service truck. It's got a 318 with a 4-speed, and I'm not going to lie, I fell in love right away just looking at the pictures. So me and the wife make a deal that if I can get the power wagon, she would drive the Dakota until we got her Durango the following year, which would be this year, which we did get her Durango. It's a 2017 Durango RT with the all-wheel drive. Well, anyways, I get a hold of the owner of the power wagon and tell him I want to come check it out, and I got cash in hand. What will I be expecting when I pick it up? couple things. Minor mostly. I had to tow it home because it had shot ball joints and a leaf spring in the rear end was broken half, but it did drive onto the trailer. Long story short, I got it home and got it running good with a good carb rebuild on the stock two-barrel Carter carb and the new leaf springs and some much-needed front-end work. Took my son out for a test drive in it after it was good to go and my son is four now, by the way, but he looks at me and says, Dad, I like this truck. This is my truck, right? Made me so happy to hear him say that, so just for the little man, I will put it in my will for him to take ownership of it after I pass. I currently drive the truck every day and I love it. It really don't look any different than when I bought it either. It has some new mirrors and a set of worn locking hubs because the locking hubs that were on it were toasted. This truck is a tank as well. I take it on my off-road adventures pretty often and I've never had any issues with it. It goes anywhere I need it to. Was curious on one opinion I wanted from you on the truck. I was thinking about putting a 440 big block in it that I got sitting out back. Let me know what you think about that right now. It currently has the 318. I enjoy the podcast. It's great. Keep it up. I've learned interesting, cool stuff about a lot of these older Mopars I wasn't aware of. Also, was curious if you could do an episode one of these days on the Power Wagon line. Hoping to get me a Mopar muscle car soon, but my driveway is pretty full of Mopars at the moment. So either I need a bigger driveway or get rid of a Mopar, and I'm not sure if I can put myself to get rid of one of my Mopars, so it looks like i got to make more room. I currently have four Mopars. Sorry for rambling. Here are some pictures of my Mopars. Mopar, no car. I stand by that motto. I only own Mopars. Thanks, Austin, for sending in your story. I, too, am a big fan of Dodge trucks, as I'm sure you know since you listen to the podcast regularly. I also am a fan of the newer Durangos and the older ones, too, but I've got a, I've got a little thing for those new Durangos right now, especially especially that Hellcat Durango. That thing is awesome. But uh, I actually thought about getting a Durango RT recently um, to get rid of my truck, but I kind of decided against it for now. I'm going to pay my truck off and then probably go get myself a Challenger. But 
I can't blame you for liking the trucks. And hey, man, I'm sorry to hear about the trail duster. It's too bad that your family couldn't work it out and that the truck was scrapped. That's too bad. But hey, at least it got you turned on to Mopars. And it's cool that you have some now. And as you know, I'm a big fan of the tin grills. I'm actually a fan of all Dodge trucks. I think they're all pretty cool. As far as your question in regards to swapping out your 318 for a 440, I guess you have to ask yourself, you know, what your goals are with the truck. You know, you can dump a lot of money into a big block swap, man. And, you know, it may not be worth it in the end. You could always take the 318 out and put a warmed up 360 in its place. You know, you could get a 360 and build it. You could stroke it. It could be a 408 stroker and you could throw that in the truck, get you plenty of power and, you know, not have to go through the hassle of swapping in a big block because with a big block, you got to change a lot of stuff. So unless you want to throw a bunch of money at this truck to have a big block truck, I wouldn't, if it was, let me put it to you this way. If it was me, I would probably build a 360, you know, stroke it out, 408 stroker, something like that. That's what I would do. But hey, it's your truck, man. I guess, it, like I said, it really depends on what you want to do with the truck. But, you know, if it's a daily driver type situation where maybe you just want a little bit more out of it, you know, how much power do you want? I guess that's a big question, too. If you want 900 horsepower, go get yourself a 440, stroke it out, and, you know, build the hell out of it. If you want about 400 horsepower, you can really get it easily out of a 360. So I would say 360 swap. That's me. Um, keep me posted on that project. I'm curious to see which direction you go. All right, Austin. And actually, before I forget, you know, I'm a fan of Jeeps, too. I actually have had a couple myself. I do like XJs. I had a 91 Cherokee for a while that was supposed to be my wheeler project, but I just never got around to it. And I ended up horse trading and that's what actually selling that Jeep is actually what got me to my dart. But even before the Cherokee, I had a 2008 Jeep Wrangler, which was a fun, fun rig. But um, I ended up getting rid of it. And, you know, I wouldn't consider it one that got away, but it definitely was one that I do miss. Um, as far as your request for the power wagon episode, there will be a power wagon episode. I do want to talk more about the trucks and stuff. There's just and I've said this millions of times now, there's just so much to cover in the world of Mopar, but we're going to get to it. So 2021 is going to be a crazy year. And it's, I was really planning on getting to a lot more in the history of Mopars, but you know, the direct connections episodes are just so fun for me. I love doing those, talking to my buddies and stuff. And I want to do a lot more with people that I haven't talked to yet. So it's going to be a good time. And, you know, we're just going to, we're going to play it by ear. We're just going to go with the flow. You know what I'm saying, buddy? But thanks for sending in your story, Austin, and keep me posted on your projects. And for the record, I do like Dakotas too. Our next listener story is from Anthony Jimenez. I hope I pronounced that right, Anthony. <laughs> My apologies if I did not. Your story is one of those ones that I look at and I'm like, that is a lot to read. <laughs> but we're going to give it our best shot here. Here is Anthony's story. Hi, Chris. My name is Anthony Jimenez, and I am a born and raised Mopar freak. I am a new subscriber to your podcast and a fan. Great work, by the way, both on the Facebook page and the podcast. Over my 37 years of life, I've had pretty much nothing but Mopars. From almost being born in my dad's 1974 Plymouth Satellite Sebring Pro... <laughs> Sebring Pros. <laughs> Let's try that again, folks. 
from almost being born in my dad's 1974 Plymouth Satellite Sebring Plus to having our 1973 Plymouth Duster 340 sunroof car displayed in a museum in Melbourne, Australia, boy do I have Mopar stories for you. I've based pretty much my entire social life around cars and car events, so much to the point that I have been the one responsible for the Monterey Cars and Coffee that happens at WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, and Salinas, California every other month for the last two years now. So if you'd like to talk cars and more specifically Mopar stories in general, then feel free to contact me and let's talk. It's really nice to meet a fellow Mopar nut. I've been listening to more of your show and I really like the platform. While I wait for you to hopefully one day contact me so we can ramble on about our Mopar craziness, I'll leave you with a story for your direct connection segment. Just another listener story. I call it the Mopar Circle. My first vivid memory of a Mopar is actually my first vivid memory of a car in general. I remember sitting on the front fender of my dad's 1974 Dodge Challenger Rally while he was working on the engine. I must have been around three or four years old at the time, and I remember being amazed by my dad's interaction with this machine. I remember the sound it made when he finally got it working. I even remember the smells from the engine bay as I sat there watching this engine come to life. The whole thing was like an awakening, and suddenly I wanted more. From that point forward, my experience with my dad's Mopars were primarily in second person. What I mean is I really just helped him fix the car, restore the car, service the car, and so on. By this point, though, he had sold the 74 Challenger because of emissions regulations at the time and replaced it with a 1968 Dodge Charger, which honestly deserves its own story entirely. Now we fast forward a little bit, and by the time I was 15 years old, I was itching to get a Mopar of my own. Of course, my pick would have been my dad's 1968 Dodge Charger, but that wasn't in the cards, so instead, the hunt for my first car began. We looked at numerous vehicles in the beginning, everything from a dilapidated 1970 Cuda AAR, which in hindsight I should have gotten anyway, to a mostly there 1976 Plymouth Duster that I also should have gotten. Somehow, though, I just couldn't see myself in either of those two cars. They didn't feel right. Finally, we came across the first candidate, a 1965 Plymouth Barracuda Formula S with a 273 Commando engine. This thing had the front disc brakes with a three-speed automatic floor shifter. It was white with a blue interior, and the vehicle was honestly probably a survivor. We actually looked at this vehicle a few times, negotiated price, and even settled on a date on which to pick it up. I think at the time, the styling of the car really wasn't my thing. It was cool in its own way, but I wanted something more muscle car-like. Alas, it wasn't meant to be. Problems with the paperwork and the owner being kind of flaky pretty much killed that deal. So on to the next contestant, my aunt's 1983 daily-driven Chrysler Cordoba with the very rare console-mounted shifter. This thing had the Corinthian leather and everything. It was a silver-blue color with silver interior and had a Lando vinyl top. I love this car. I remember many trips up and down California in this car, and I wanted it so bad. But unfortunately, the vehicle that was going to replace this car in her stable just simply wasn't going to work, and so that deal fell through as well. So it was time to open door number three, and oh man, was I in it this time. The car we looked at, and ultimately the car that ended up being my first car, was a 1966 Dodge Charger 383 four-barrel. It had the full-length console with four bucket seats and those crazy flip-around headlights. Not many people know this, but in 1966, the 440 wasn't available yet, so if you wanted a high-performance charger, you either had to get the 383 four-barrel or pay extra for the Hemi. So if you didn't have the cash, the 383 was your best choice. The car we found was in some old lady's yard, a quarter of the way buried in the ground, every trim piece and lens busted, broken, and cracked, missing a radiator amongst other odds and ends. And of course, the windows were down, so the interior was exposed to the elements for God knows how long. When we approached the lady, she told us to give her $200 to take it off the lot, and so we did, and thus, I had my first car. We towed it to the house, which was roughly a block away, and promptly began trying to get the thing running again. I would spend the next three years of my life getting this thing on the road, 
and restored, and by the time I was in high school, I was the only kid in the entire city, perhaps even the county, with a 1966 Dodge Charger fully restored by me. It was awesome. I had this car for five years after that, all through college, I even got married in that thing, but as all things in life, the story with that vehicle did not end well, and one day I would find out that somebody wanted it more than I did. I'm so in the process of finding a new home for us, and moving all my belongings, I found out that the car had disappeared from a buddy of mine's house. With my first love gone and nowhere to be found, I had no choice but to move on. A couple of years later, once you know it, my aunt's Cordoba would land right on my lap. After making the rounds with the rest of the family, the car would end up at my doorstep a little worse for wear, but with all the character in the world. I took the car in, gave it a new lease on life, and began to make it my own. Because when I received this car, there was no real value to it, I decided I would custom build this thing the way I thought it should have been. These cars were built on the ill-fated JFM and P-body platform, which, for being Mopar's last true rear-wheel drive cars of the old company, aside for police models in the 80s. During my time with the Cordoba, I swapped out the front end for one off of a 1983 Chrysler Imperial with the hidden headlights and the longer front end and a few other upgrades, all from Mopar of the time. Well, I was able to enjoy three short years with this car. Unfortunately, though, emissions laws in California will not allow for this car to exist as it was, and so I had to let it go, but not before I extracted the engine and a few other things for the next project that I might stumble into later. After about a year, I had seen a cool little A-body for sale on Craigslist near my town. I've always been curious about owning an A-body, but never really had the chance, so I went to go check it out. Once you know it, the car was a 1965 Plymouth Barracuda with a V8. The car was not running, but the body was in decent shape, it had a lot of character and was nowhere near perfect. It was exactly what I was looking for, but the guy wanted $4,000 for the car, and I honestly didn't have the money. I just wanted to see the car. So when I finally met the guy and saw the car for myself, he had asked what I thought of the vehicle. I was very honest and told him that I wasn't there to waste his time. I just wanted to see what the car looked like for myself. I told him that I did not have enough money for what he wanted and thanked him for his time. As I started walking away, he said, Here's the thing, I'm moving away tomorrow, and I just found out today my mom is moving out too, so I won't have anywhere to put this car. So the bottom line is how much do you have on you? I told him I'm not sure, and I asked him how much he would take. To which he told me, Give me $2,000, and it's yours. That's how much I paid for it, so at least I'll break even. Without missing a beat, I went to my bank, took $2,000, which was probably more than I could afford, and made a deal. And that is the vehicle I have now. It wasn't until a couple days later when I finally towed the vehicle home that my father saw it for the first time. He reminded me of how we looked at a 1965 Barracuda just like this one before we bought the Charger as my first car. It's then I realized I had in a weird way come full circle. The craziest thing is almost every part that I had to put this car together again and get this car running were parts that I had taken off both the Charger and the Cordoba. So in a strange way, this car is an amalgamation of all my classic Mopars that I've owned over the years. A Frankenfish, if you will. It's been two years since I've had this car running using mechanical pieces I had to adapt from my 66 Charger and the engine and electrical system for my Cordoba. It's been an awesome project and I've learned a lot. Early A-Body Mopar is a beast all their own. I hope to keep this car for as long as I live and continue my Mopar odyssey. Thanks for reading my story. Let me know if you liked it because I have many more. And I hope you give me a call so we can go over some more Mopar stories. My number is 41565... Just kidding, Anthony. I'm not going to give your phone number out, buddy. You did say that you wanted to hear from me soon. I'm sorry, it's been a while, dude. It's been far too long. This story has been sitting on the shelf along with a few others, and I feel really bad about that. So here's what I'm going to do. You've heard me talk about wanting to go live on Facebook and YouTube. Here's my offer to you and anybody else interested in talking Mopars with me. You can come on the show live. When I go live, as long as you have a set of headphones and a computer with a microphone built in or external, 
or even a phone. I believe a phone will work too. As long as you have headphones or earbuds, you can come on to Talking Mopars with me live and we can talk Mopars. You can tell me your stories. That way I don't have to stumble through reading them because I'm horrible at reading stories, especially the long ones, buddy. But I love the story. I think it's great. And, you know, it is funny that you went full circle. That's really cool. I'm glad you ended up with an early A body too. For some reason, I just don't think those cars get enough love. I think they're really cool. And I really think it's cool that you gave that Cordoba a second lease on life. I think that's awesome. You know, those JFM and P bodies, they don't get enough love. I mean, I haven't even given them enough love on this podcast. So those are definitely on the list we're going to be talking about here probably you know, I want to say soon, but you never know with this podcast. For all I know, all next year, I'm going to be doing Direct Connections episodes and just talking to other people. So uh, maybe I'll have an expert of those bodies on and we'll talk to them about them. But who knows? Thanks for sending in your story, man. And once again, I apologize. It's been on the shelf for far too long, along with so many of these other stories. So I'm going to do my best to get to them. And I can't wait to talk to you guys live on Talking Mopars. Thanks, Anthony, for sharing your story about the Frankenfish. Oh, and one last thing. Thieves suck. And there's a special place in hell for all car thieves. But Anthony, the good news is you finally got yourself a Barracuda, and it sounds to me like it's not going anywhere. Our next listener story comes to us from Boise, Idaho, from a guy named Tanner Vavold. Here is Tanner's story. Hey man, new to your podcast, but definitely a fan. Wanted to share my story. Grew up in Caldwell, Idaho, being surrounded by old iron. My stepdad is a huge Mopar guy, so naturally, so am I. He has a couple 70 Challengers, a 70 Charger 500, and while growing up, multiple different B, E, A, and C bodies. My first car was a 69 Satellite that I actually ended up having to trade for a daily driver Toyota pickup. Trust me, it still hurts to think about that. I feel like my story is pretty usual and common, but now that I've done a little growing up, I've actually obtained some that I've kept, My Mopar love is a little strange, but I feel like it is the definition of muscle car and sleeper. I have a 95 Dodge Neon that I put an SRT4 engine in. Car is ugly, but put together well and hurts a lot of feelings. Cars went 1137 at 130 with 100% stock long block and an old hand-me-down turbo. I recently picked up a 75 Duster and a 79 Ram Charger. Mopar runs through my blood. But I appreciate on your podcast that you don't chastise the oddity Mopars guy. My dream car is a 70 Challenger, but they are so incredibly expensive, and they are all getting expensive. One day I'll end up with my 70, but for now I have to fuel my internal fire and run my neon in my duster. P.S. The 440 is almost ready to go in the duster. Thanks for your podcast. I listen to it while I TIG weld in my shop. Vavold Performance out of Boise, Idaho. I build anything and everything and love every minute of it. I find myself doing a lot of SRT4 stuff because, well, I love them. Being a Mopar guy is not a choice. It's not something I could stop. It drives my whole life and drives my wife crazy. Thanks for what you do. P.S. You don't have to share this on your show, but if you would like, you absolutely can. I'm not trying to endorse my shop, so you can leave that part out. But anyways, thanks for everything you talk about. Show makes me smile and feel validated. Hey, Tanner. Thanks for the story and for the kind words, man. I really appreciate it. I'm a Mopar guy, too. I I have no problems with neons. I actually like neons. You know, a lot of guys, a lot of the hardcore, you know, old school Mopar guys, you know, they they just hate front wheel drive Mopars for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I like them all. I'm actually a fan of the 80s turbo Mopars. And, you know, I, I'd take an SRT4 Neon any day. You know, they're fast. I've known a couple guys with them. And, you know, I, I never scoff at a Dodge Neon. 
you know, especially the SRT4s. And I really like the older ones that are SRT4 swapped like yours. I think it's really cool. You sent me the picture of your neon and you know, it's got the peeling paint, but it looks badass on the drag slicks and the skinnies out back. It's so cool. And 1137 at 130, man, I remember when in the front wheel drive world, you know, 1137, you know, would be considered, you know, magazine cover fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? When all the front wheel drive imports were breaking into the 12s, you know, people were losing their minds. You know, that was back in the, you know, mid to late 90s. But I think it's cool. And you got a performance shop. That is awesome. And you're a welder. That is something that I just don't have the skills to do. Um, I have welded before in the past, but you know, that was back in high school and I haven't welded since I want to get back into it, but it's one of those, it's an art, you know, I'm sure you can attest to that. And Hey, if you're a welder, man, I need a cage in my dart. I need a bunch of metal work on my dart. So maybe I can take it over to Vavold performance in Boise, Idaho, and you can help me out. But thanks for sending in your story and don't worry about being an SRT four guy. You know, you're a Mopar guy. That's something to be proud of. And Hey, your first car was a 69 satellite. That's awesome. You had to get rid of it for a Toyota, but that's okay. You know, we won't beat you up too bad about that because you're making up for it by saving other Mopars. And, you know, hey, I think everybody's dream job is to have a performance shop. So that's cool, man. I really appreciate you sending in your story. And I look forward to seeing some more work out of your shop. So anybody that's in the Northwest area that needs some weld work done or has an SRT4 or just needs some fabrication, go check out Vivold Performance out of Boise, Idaho. And Tanner, I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, feel free to correct me, buddy. Thanks for sending in your story. This next listener story comes to us from Logan Mulliken, and it had been so long since Logan sent me his first story that he actually sent me an update on it. So once again, to everybody, Logan, Tanner, Anthony, and everyone else whose story I read so late in the game after they sent it, I apologize. Moving forward, I'm going to try to be much better about it. Okay, let's get into Logan's story. Hey, Chris, so I messaged you, I believe it was Saturday, telling you I was picking up my 72 Plymouth Duster, my dream car. I'll start by how I got into Mopar, specifically A-Bodies. I got into the A-Body platform because of my dad. When I was about three or four, he had a 72 Plymouth Duster 344 speed in sublime green. Car was an absolute blast to be in, but he sold it so we could get a camper to do more family things in. Ever since that day, I've always wanted a Duster. Well, that dream became reality, but here's the crazy hassle I went through. Three years ago, I bought a 1965 AMC Rambler Classic Wagon for a thousand bucks. Didn't run and it was sitting for years. I got it running the next day and used it as a weekend driver going to car shows till I sold it last week Friday. Two years before that, I bought a crotch rocket when my mom was in Europe on a business trip. She owns a travel agency. She wasn't too happy when I posted a picture of it in the living room, but anyway, back to the story. I started looking around to find a nice 70 to 72 duster for at least three to four years when finally I found a couple. A 71 duster that needed a good amount of work over in Detroit, and a 72 over in South Dakota that needed more work than I could handle. As soon as I was about to give up my search and just keep the wagon and the bike, I found a duster that was close and was a great project car to start off with. A 1972 Plymouth Duster Slant 6 Auto Car, no rust, brand new interior, and it was running and driving. I sold the bike to a buddy of mine which then crashed it the same day going home. LOL. Now it was time to sell the wagon. The guy wanted to meet up Saturday, but the other guy with the duster only had time Saturday morning. So I rented a U-Haul trailer, borrowed my buddy's truck, and took the car up to him Friday night after work. Boom, sold the wagon, and now had plenty of money to buy this duster. I called another busy friend of mine who has a 73 Dart Sport 344 speed car with factory moonroof to come with. 
7 a.m. Saturday morning hit, and we drove down to a town called Prophetstown in Illinois, two and a half hours from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. When I first saw the car, I got super excited and saw how clean it really was. Talked to the owner and found build sheets, and he verified the miles on it since he's had the car for over 25 years, 56,000 original miles. Went into his office to agree on a price. He was asking way too much originally. He was asking $8,500 for the car, but I got him down to $6,500, and we made the deal. Loaded up the car and trucked it back to Milwaukee. I was going to get the Slant 6 running better, but I knew of an 85 two-wheel drive Ram that had a 318 and 727 combo I could use. The guy who owned the truck was the same guy I bought the AMC from, so I called him up asking how much he wanted for the drivetrain. He told me 300 bucks, and I can have the whole truck. I haven't even owned the car for a week, and I'm already ripping the car apart so I can install the engine and drivetrain into it. A couple of my fellow Mopar buddies are helping me out by giving me a V8K member out of a 72 Duster, 8 and 3 quarter rear end, and some other goodies for the car so we can enter the car into a no-prep 1080 index class June of 2021. I'll keep you updated on the build process of the car along the way. The podcast is something I look forward to every single week to listen to at work, so keep up the good work. Thanks. Logan. P.S. If anyone needs a 7 and a quarter and a slant 6 with engine combo, I'll sell for cheap. LOL. And to help my mom out with her business, if you need to plan a vacation, talk to Carrie Mulliken at Bon Voyage World Travel Experts. The number is 262-514-2022. Tell her Logan sent you. Thanks, Logan, for sending in your story. And I'm sure your mom will thank you for the the plug. I don't know how many of us Mopar guys can afford to go on vacation because we're Mopar guys, but you never know. Um, you also sent me an update. So let's get into your update before I respond to your awesome story. So, update on my 72 project I sent an email about a while back. I bought an 8 and 3 quarter rear end out of a 71 Dart for 500 bucks. Then a buddy of mine has a 727 Trans that needs a rebuild he's selling to me for 75 bucks, and I just scored an entire 360LA engine for free. Yes, you read that right, for free. He wanted to donate it to me because he's excited to see a 24 to 25 year old kid building a duster. I also have to get it prepped and ready once this Wisconsin winter hits for body and paint, and also a cage and other miscellaneous things as well. Just thought I'd give you an update, bud. Thanks, Logan Mulliken. Hey, Logan, thanks for sending in your story, buddy. Sorry it took me so long to get to it. I think it's awesome that, you know, your dad had a 72 duster and that, you know, gave you such good memories that you wanted to duster yourself. So you made that happen, man. And that's really cool. I think A-bodies are great cars. And it's refreshing to me to see so many people into A-bodies. There's so many people, like there's a hierarchy of Mopar stuff and it's like B bodies, E bodies, and then you got A bodies, C bodies, and then F, J, M, you know, and the list goes on. So it's really refreshing to see so many people that are still into A bodies. You know, when you go on Facebook and you look at all the A body groups, you're thinking to yourself, okay, good, I'm not the only one. You know what I mean? Because a lot of us, a lot of us Mopar guys, we really don't have the money to get those Hemi Kudas and those Hemi Challengers and you know, the Superbirds, the Daytonas, the Super V's, the Chargers, you know, so we got to make do with what we got and, or what we can afford. And, you know, some people just love A-bodies. So that's always cool to hear. And, you know, it sounds like you got an awesome project on your hands, you know, doing no prep is a little crazy, but, you know, I, I enjoy watching it, but I don't know if I would be willing to risk my car <laughs> doing no prep, but Hey man, whatever floats your boat, I will uh, cheer you on the whole time. And I really want to see the progress of this car because there's something about an A-body race car that really gets my engine revving. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love A-body race cars. I think they're awesome. And every time I see a Duster or a Dart Sport or a Demon or a Dart or an earlier Barracuda, 
you know, either the first gen or the second gen Barracudas. I think it's awesome to see those things at the track. So keep up the good work, man, and keep me updated on it. I can't wait to hear and see what you end up doing with this car. Thanks for sending in your story. All right, folks, I think that's it for emailed stories. I think I finally caught up. I'm not 100% sure, but my brain is dead from reading right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get into the voice messages that I have stockpiled because <laughs> I have those too. And over the next week, I'm going to double check to make sure I got all of the emailed stories in. So I will update you guys on that. But if you still haven't heard your story, feel free to drop me a line and say, hey, man, you haven't read my story yet. And I will see if it's somewhere lost in the pile. But I think that's it. Um, let's go ahead and get into these voicemails because there's a few of them. Our first voicemail messages come from Tad. Here are Tad's messages. Hey, Chris. My name is Tad. I just wanted to let you know I started listening to your podcast a couple weeks back, just looking for something different to look look at and listen to. Um, just recently, uh, within the last five years, got into having my own Mopars. Uh, I grew up, my dad had... Plymouths and Dodges and Chryslers my whole life. Unfortunately, when I was younger, wasn't as much into cars and didn't know as much. So uh, let a couple of his go that I wish I would have saved for my first car. But uh, anyway, I wanted to say a great podcast. Uh, my current project that I'm working on is a 1969 numbers matching Super B. Um, got it off the East Coast. And over the last couple of years have uh, kind of taught myself and done all the metal work. I've replaced the entire trunk, the quarter panels, the wheel tubs, uh, door pillars, front and rear, the upper cowl in the front. Uh, luckily, the underside is pretty solid, so nothing to do there. But had the engine completely rebuilt and the transmission redone. Um, just slowly plugging away at the body work and trying to get that finished up so I can uh, paint it. Anyway, that's my, my current project. Uh, I had a 65 Dart also that I worked on for about two years. Ended up putting an 8 and 3 quarter in that with a sure grip and then uh, put a 340 in it with a 5.9 Magnum manifold and some dual uh, 40 Delta Flowmasters. But I uh, sold that recently so I could refocus on the Super B. But uh, great show. Love listening to it. Always looking for uh, the shows where they mention Super Bs or the A12 cars. Mine's a 383 automatic, but we'll get it done and get it out there. I haven't seen any Super Bs in person at any of the car shows near where I live in Southern California. So I'm excited to get it done and get it out there. Anyway, great show, man. Thanks for putting it on and I uh, look forward to future episodes. Hey, Chris, it's Tad again. Hey, I'm leaving another message. I heard another segment that there's only about three minutes on here. So anyway, I'd mentioned that growing up, my dad had Mopars. My grandpa, all he ever had was Dodge trucks growing up. Unfortunately, when I was younger, I didn't know as much about cars. But uh, a couple cars my dad had, he had a 65 Barracuda S that he had purchased to drive back and forth to work. And... I don't know, a few months into work, they gave him a work car, so he parked it in my grandpa's barn for about a year, and then after that, sold it, I think you said, for $700. Um, 
I'm kicking myself that I wasn't around to have him hold on to that. Uh, it was red exterior, red interior. I think I have a picture of it with he and my mom when they're in their 20s taking a road trip. Um, another car he had when I was a little older and knew about was a 73 Duster. I think it was a 6, uh, sky blue with a white stripe down the side and the blue interior. Um, again, he had that when I was probably 9 or 10. And if I would have known then what I know now, I would have told him to hold that thing and keep it for my first car. But, uh, again, he sold that, I think, for about $700 perfect condition. He took really good care of his cars. Um, another car he had was an 89 Ram Charger. I think he drove that thing for about 15 years. And when he turned it in at Dodge, the guys said it would never hit the the, the, the lot. He's like, somebody's going to pick this thing up that works here. It's an immaculate condition. But uh, anyway, long history of Mopar. I'm just getting started in it in the last five years, but I'm having a great time working on the Super B and uh, hoping to get that thing out here soon. But uh, anyway, thanks again for the show. Love uh, hearing everyone's stories and uh, learning from, from your podcast. Thanks so much. Hey, Chris, this is Tad again. I called yesterday a couple times, but I was uh, trying to move along so quickly to meet that three-minute line that I totally forgot the most important Mopar in my life. Um, my first car, man, I wanted that... 57 Chevy two-door on the corner dirt lot for $2,500. My dad said, nope, you're going to be working on that thing all the time. And little did he know that that's what I wanted to do. But did not get that and ended up looking through some of the uh, Auto Trader magazines, looking at 280Zs and all those things and a little bit too much for my dad. So we settled on a 1984 Dodge Daytona Turbo Z, automatic, uh, metallic maroon with the silver bottom around the bottom, uh, black leather seats. Man, that thing was awesome. I drove it all through high school and shortly after high school. But uh, at one point, the turbo went out on it. That was pretty expensive to replace. And then... Uh, my dad actually made seat covers for it because we lived in Arizona and black leather on your legs is not very fun. So covered those leather seats up that were in perfect condition. Um, I think when I was about 19 or 20, uh, coming back from a car show one day out in Lake Havasu and uh, front end starts to wobble, I decided to get off the freeway and I see a handful of ball bearings rolling up the off ramp in front of me. Turns out the CD joints were shot, um, towed it back to town, and gosh, if I only knew then what I know now, I would have changed those CD joints myself. But we ended up not fixing it because it was going to cost too much and sold the entire car, which was in great condition, to a junkyard for $350. So those perfect leather seats went to the junkyard, the whole car gone. Man, that's uh, one car I wish I could have back right now. Anyway, totally forgot about the most important one when I called yesterday. But uh, anyway, man, thanks again for the show. Listening to it now. 
Hey, Chris, this is Tad again. I uh, left a couple other messages, kind of overviews of all the cars I've had and cars my dad and grandpa have had. But uh, just listening to a couple other um, listener stories and figured I had some stories related to each one of the cars. Um, what I'm thinking about today is my very first car when I turned 16, which was the 1984 Dodge Daytona Turbo Z. And that Turbo Z was called out right there on that silver rear bumper, at least until I got rear-ended and that got destroyed. And when I got my car back from the shop, that's the first thing I looked for. And no Turbo Z on the bumper at that point. I think it was probably 89 when that happened. Um, anyway, they said they could not get that Turbo Z bumper anymore to, uh, to repair it, replace it. But... Um, yeah, I had the car through high school, and I mean, like a couple other guys have said, it wasn't the fastest car, but it sounded pretty mean, and, uh, you know, there were a couple guys in high school that would call me out and want to race me, and not knowing really anything, I told them, meet me after school, and I'll race you, and, uh, you know, they would never show up, so I kind of counted that as a win. Um, I remember a few times kind of learning the car, and when it would, that turbo would kick in, and I remember driving around and kind of taking it easy off the line. But when I got right around 25 miles an hour, if I hammered it, man, that turbo would kick in and that thing would drop a gear and take off so fast. Um, that's probably how I burnt up the first turbo. I, I learned later that someone told me that when you shut the car off or before you shut it off to uh, let it idle for a little bit, to let the oil drain out of the turbo. I, I don't even know if that's true or not, but that's what they told me. Um, I don't know, a couple other things. When I got it, the paint was pretty sun-baked on the roof. A lot of the clear coat was peeling off. So I remember I uh, I was working at a grocery store, and I'd saved up just enough money. I think it was $350. While initially I was going to try to fly back and visit some family in Ohio, but it was between that and getting my car repainted at uh, good old Earl Scheib. Um, maybe it was Mako, uh, one of those two. But anyway, my dad said, you know what? You pay for the car, I'll get your airplane ticket. So dropped the car off before I left for my trip. And uh, when I got home, man, and they pulled that thing out, and they had that nice, shiny, metallic maroon paint on top and silver around the skirt. It just looked awesome. Um, unfortunately, a couple of years went by, and it started peeling and coming up again. So um, anyway, I think I had told you the story. Uh, I drove it out to a car show in Lake Havasu, and on the way back, lost a CV joint, and... Hey, Chris, I got hung up on there. Hey, uh, just to finish up real quick, uh, I was talking about the 84 Daytona. Um, anyway, lost a, a CV joint coming back from a car show, had it towed back, had it looked at, and my dad decided it was going to be too much to fix, so uh, we had it... Uh, uh, picked up by a salvage yard and sold it for $350, which, looking back now, makes me want to cry because I wish I had that car back. Again, not the most amazing Mopar, but my first car and uh, definitely a lot of memories in it. Yeah, and the, uh, the back seats fold down, too, and can definitely fit a person lying down. Won't go any more into that story. <laughs> anyway, thanks a lot, Chris. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Chris, it's Tad. Again, I figured I'd get some more of my stories out. Uh, next one, 65 
Dark GT273. I think it's AB31. It's the two-barrel one. But anyway, um, was looking for uh, another car, and someone locally reached out that they had this car in their barn, been sitting there for a long time. And if I wanted a car, might as well come and get theirs. They wanted $700 for it. So ran over. This was 2017, 2018. Um, yeah, we went over, opened the barn doors, and there it was sitting, my uh, 65 Dart GT, uh, just roasted paint on it, metallic blue that looked kind of gray now. Um, originally, the car was, was white with a metallic blue interior, um, which I think would have been cool. But anyway, I'm missing the candy cane trim on the front, uh, all flat tires, locked up 318 in it. Um, anyway, I bought it. I figured oh, I'll throw a little bit of stuff into it, get it running, driving, and then I'll, you know, play with it for a little while and eventually sell it. Well, you know how that goes. I bought it and pulled out 318, searched for everything for a period correct 273, got that in there, came across a... 1971 340 that had been sitting on a crate in someone's yard for a bunch of years and ended up buying that for 200 bucks. It's fun. So I pulled that apart, uh, put all new stuff on that, rebuilt it, pulled out the 273, dropped in the 340, got all pieced together an A body, eight and three quarter rear end with a 3.2, uh, sure grip on it, um, swapped out the master cylinder to a dual master cylinder. Rebuilt the whole front end, practiced for the very first time my car painting skills on it, which came out pretty well. Um, anyway, got it all back together, and it had little bugs here and there, but realized it was pulling way too much time and money away from my Super B, so um, recently sold that, but learned a ton off of it, man, a ton. Uh, working on engines, doing conversions, painting, just everything, so... Uh, Anyway, that was the 65 Dart story. There's a really cool backstory and history to the car that I'll try to leave on another message, um, see if I can fill up your entire machine here. But uh, anyway, in general, that's the 65 Dart GT. Thanks, bud. Hey, Chris, that again, 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 uh, 65 Dart GT. Sorry, I always feel rushed trying to get everything in in three minutes, but... Um, Anyway, uh, I wanted to finish that story. So one thing I forgot to mention. So uh, automatic 904LA cable shift uh, floor shifter. Um, those cables leaked like crazy, man. And I tried to look up stuff for that car, and a lot of it's one-year-only. Uh, I think cables for it were like $500 for a set of cables. So instead of doing that, it was the housing that was cracked and leaking. The cables actually worked. So I just bought a big coil of uh, transmission coolant line and sheathed the entire cable again with coolant line, um, which worked, stopped all the leaks. Um, ended up putting a deep dish pan on it with a uh, plug on it so I could change the fluid without having to pull the whole pan off as well. Um, quickly, the story behind the cars, apparently in the 90s, a guy owned these cars, he drove he got two of them, 265s, drove one of the high school and had the one that I have for a parts car when he restored it. Um, ended up selling both cars. The guy that I got from actually tried to buy them at that time, but they got sent up to Los Angeles, bought and shipped up there. A couple of years later, they came back up for sale again, and the guy that I got the car from, he bought both of them. 
brought them back to his house and ended up selling, there was a white one with it, uh, selling the white one. Uh, a guy here at the local Mopar club, Diamond Valley Mopars, um, he bought it and restored it with his son. Well, jump ahead a few years, I bring mine to this local car show and the guy walks up and says, is that the green dart that was in uh, so-and-so's garage? I said, yep. He's like, man, I have the sister to that car. And um, he just loved it. He loved looking around. The biggest thing that he said was it was great to see it back on the road again. He said he thought it would probably end up getting cut apart or crushed or something. And uh, at some point, he'd like to bring his, uh, his down and get them back together again. But um, anyway, back and forth between different cities and counties and people and here we are. They came back together again, both both fixed up and back on the road. Um, anyway, just wanted to fill you on that story. And, um, yeah, we'll uh, talk to you again soon here. I'll give you a story on my 69 Super V. Hey, Chris. Tad again. I'm going to totally fill your machine up today. I'm listening to some of the podcasts, and um, I can't believe I forgot, like, a handful of cars that we had growing up with my dad was on big Plymouth Chrysler Dodge guy, but uh, we had a, my mom had a Lancer for a long time, uh, it was tan, it was the ugliest thing in the world, but we had it, uh, I think after that she got a Dodge Dynasty, I think if I remember correct, I think it was like maroon, and after that she had a white Intrepid, but to back all the way up to the early 80s, I remember my mom driving me around in our, I think it's what, Plymouth Valari station wagon with the awesome wood grain stickers on the side, but I had a paper route. I think I was about 12 or 13. I had to get my papers all ready in the morning, load up the back of the station wagon, and I'd sit back there with the back hatch open, driving around, uh, delivering newspapers, and, uh, you know, Thinking back now, that was probably the most dangerous thing to do because I do remember holding my breath and getting headaches, and knowing what I know now, I'm surprised I didn't die in the back of that car by uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, my brother also had a Plymouth Sundance, I think it was. That was his first car for high school. He had that thing for a bunch of years. I think it ended up breaking down, and we sold it to the junkyard, but anyway, a handful of other cars um, that we had growing up. Gosh, man, I can't believe I forgot about all those. Um, anyway, yeah, I just wanted to fill you in on those other few that we had. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to piece all of these messages together that I'm sending in, but uh, if anyone, hopefully at least you get to enjoy them. I'll talk to you later. Hey, Chris, Pat, again. I'm going to keep leaving messages because I'm not home and the kids aren't interrupting me. But uh, just thought of another cool story. My uh, best friend who moved in across the street from me, uh, well, we were in sixth grade and seventh grade at the time, but uh, he moved in. And I remember looking back now, his mom used to drive this old white four-door car. And I'm realizing now it was a, I don't know, a 67 or 68 four-door Cornette. But um, just just a basic cornet. But it was funny because his parents would leave all the time on trips or go out for the night or something like that. And uh, 
he was from back in Nebraska on a farm, so he was used to driving. So he would call me over some nights when they would leave, and he'd say, let's go hop in my mom's car and go cruise around the neighborhood. So, you know, we'd hop in this old Cornette and cruise around our neighborhood, and probably one of the funnest things we did, we'd get on corners, and he would just hammer that thing. And uh, it had to have been a 318, I guess, but he'd hammer that thing, man, and we'd spin the tires and slide around corners. Um, it was funny, though, because when we took it, we would always put something behind the back wheel to know exactly where we needed to come back and park it again so his mom wouldn't know that we took it. Um, you know, looking back now as a parent, I'm sure they, they knew it was moved, and they probably noticed the tires slowly going bald. But uh, anyway, another great uh, great story, Mopar story from growing up. Hey, Chris, Tad again. Leaving another message. This one's going to be related to my 69 Super V. Um, like me, or like you, I should say, uh, I travel a lot for work. I'm a physical therapist, and I go to people's homes. But um, because of that, I get access into backyards and houses and garages and all kinds of places that you just can't see um, from the street. So anyway, uh, I used to see a lot of cars. A buddy of mine was into buying cars and selling cars. So I send him pictures and stuff every once in a while. And one day he asked me, well, what's your dream car? I said, well, I don't know, a Super B. I used to love those things when I was a kid. I had this toy when I was probably five years old back in the 70s. It was those old ripcord cars where you pull the cord out and the metal wheel spins and you let them go and had a set that had two jumps and you'd jump them and hit them together and they pieces would fly off. And one of them was a lime green um Mopar, I can't remember exactly what, lime green with a black stripe in the back, I remember that. But anyway, I tell him that one day, the next day he calls me and says, I think I found your dream car, and I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know how serious I was about that, but shows me a 69 Super B, numbers matching, 383, auto 727, M96 package, so I'm like, all right, it's on eBay, it's got like two weeks to go on the, uh, on the auction, so I watched it go from mid five thousands up to like eight thousand the last twenty four hours. So <laughs> I put in eighty one hundred, thinking, ah, the thing's gonna get to the last five minutes. Someone's gonna outbid me and take it. And I sat there and watched the clock tick down to zero, and the screen pop up and say, "Congratulations, you won." And there was a, a mixture of excitement and fear. I was like, holy crap, I just bought another car. i got to sell something now. So uh, this thing's in New Jersey, so now I also have to figure out shipping. Um, total sight unseen. Uh, so moving ahead, like I buy the car, get it all taken care of, get shipping figured out, and I'm there when the flatbed shows up in my house in the middle of the night unloading this thing into my garage and even then I'm like is this thing gonna fit in my garage I mean I think there were probably two inches between the front of the car and my garage door shutting but uh that's kind of how my story started and uh that was what five years ago I think but it wasn't until about three years ago that I actually started tearing into it and even the day that it showed up trunk wouldn't shut right because one of the arms on the trunk was rusted off and it wouldn't close down correctly. I mean, the bottom of the quarter panel, the bottom six inches were gone. Hey, 
continuing the Super B story. Um, anyway, um, I keep looking at it. Lower, lower six inches of the quarter panels are gone. Um, I mean, there's it, it's Y2 yellow with the black stripe, black interior, black vinyl roof, which I think was gone at the time. And on the driver's side sail panel where the roof meets the quarter panel, you know, typical rust, but someone had cut a big hole right there. Like maybe to look inside, I don't know. But um, anyway, complete car, everything was there, wasn't missing anything. Had an aftermarket or uh, maybe a uh, an air conditioning system put on it from one of the dealerships, which I have all the paperwork and the card, the warranty card for it. It's like a Mark V air, air conditioning unit. Um, but when they put that on, they mounted that big pump on the front and cut a section out of the lower lip of the uh, intake or the air, the base of the air cleaner to make it fit in there. And I think a section out of the N96 to make it the hood closed. So that's kind of a bummer, but I'll get that fixed. Um, anyway, like I said, it sat for two and a half years before I actually broke into it. So um, I'm, a, I'm a long way into it now. I've replaced all the quarter panels, the trunk, the trunk extensions, wheel tubs, complete driver's side floor, front section of the passenger floor, the upper cowl, all that stuff's been replaced now, and now I'm just kind of patching up doors and getting ready to finally throw some primer on it. So um, anyway, that thing kind of jumped into my life unexpectedly. I really did not expect to win the eBay uh, auction. Um, but 8100 for a numbers matching complete car, uh, I guess the pretty good deal. It's a uh, 727, 3.23 shirt ripper end. Um, and pretty, other than that, pretty pretty basic besides the M96, pretty basic package. But it's a Super V and it's, uh, it's going to be restored. I think I'm going to go more towards daily driver than I am towards like full on show quality scared to drive it around. Um, anyway, just wanted to give you my story on the Super V. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, Chris, Tad uh, here. Called a couple times, left some messages. I was just listening to your podcast with Johnny Mopar, and it ended, and right before it ended, you said you wish you could get one of those deals where it's like $100 from Mopar, and it reminded me of another car I forgot about. Um, I was working up at Yucca Valley, which is near Joshua Tree, up in the high desert here. Johnny Mopar would, would know this area. But uh, seeing a guy at his house out in the desert, and uh, we're talking, and there's car stuff around his house. And, you know, I'm kind of telling him about my projects and how I need a couple little parts for my 65 Dart. And he says, oh, I got this uh, 66 Valiant out behind my house here in the, in the, in the dirt, you know. And he says, now I'll give you the whole thing for 100 bucks if you want it. And I thought to myself, holy crap. So anyway, we're just starting our our my visit with him, so I know I have about another 45 minutes before I can actually out and, and look at this car. However, the whole time I'm standing there, I'm just, like, itching to get out of the house. But uh, anyway, I walk out, you know, behind the house there, and there sitting in the sand on, on all four tires full of air was a 66 four-door Plymouth Valiant. Uh, it was a slant six, um, 
you know, a pretty basic car, but 100% complete. I mean, not not a ding or a dent on the thing. Um, I walk back in and I'm like, sold. So, uh, unfortunately, wife, and uh, we got everything set up and I got the car back. He also had a 1971 340 sitting on a crate out there. So I talked to her a little bit, ended up getting that complete engine for $200. I brought that home and cleaned it up, and that's what actually went in my 65 dart. But uh, not working in those areas anymore, so I kind of miss not being able to look around and see what's laying around in people's yards. But anyway, wanted to tell you about that. Got my $100 uh, Mopar. Uh, anyway, I enjoy your uh, podcast, man. Keep it up. Thanks so much. Hey, Tad, thanks for sending in your stories. You are a record holder now. You sent me the most stories I have ever gotten, and that's awesome, man. You were making me laugh. I thought it was great. You really made my day right there. And, you know, I have to I have to comment on this because it really, you know, it said something to me that really made me stop and think about my podcast and all of who I consider my friends that listen to it. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you've been listening to it for a while and you keep coming back, I consider you a friend. You know, I mean, I wouldn't want to sit and listen to somebody talk that I didn't like, you know, so we can call each other friends here. Tad, you reached out to me wondering about this episode, episode number 58, because Normally, I release episodes on Mondays, and sometimes Tuesdays. I think the latest I've ever done was Wednesday. I am finishing this up on Thursday, and I'm hoping to have it out for everybody on Friday. And you reached out to me and emailed me and said that you just wanted to make sure I was all right, because it was unlike me to not release an episode and you hadn't heard from me in a couple weeks. So, you know, hey, man, thank you. I really appreciate that. I know I, I replied to you in the email and I said thank you, but I want you to hear it again here on the podcast. Thanks a lot, man. That really meant a lot. I appreciate that. Now let's 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 not get all mushy here. All right. <laughs> um let's get into your stories, man. Twelve messages. Oh my god, that's gotta be that is the record. You you have you are the most prolific. I mean, let's just say what it is. You're you're a serial voice messenger, and that's awesome. I think it's great. Hey man. Did you ever talk to your mom about delivering newspapers in that station wagon that he probably could have got carbon monoxide poisoning? That was pretty funny, man. I'm glad you're all right, of course, but I thought that was funny. Um, no one ever thinks of those things. Things were just so much simpler in our youth, you know what I mean? But um, it was really cool to hear your story about your first car, you know, the 84 Turbo Z. And it's funny because, you know, you've heard my story about my dad's 85 and... I know I've mentioned our little collection of front-wheel drive Mopars that we have, and I don't know if I actually specified that one of the Daytonas my dad has is an 84 Turbo Z in the color combination that you speak of, the maroon on top with the silver on the bottom. So that was really cool. I thought that was awesome, man. It's sad what happened to the car, but, you know, I guess we'll have to chalk that one up for you as the one that got away. You know what I mean? But your Super B project sounds really cool. One of those cars that's on my bucket list of cars I want to own someday. Really awesome. 
you talking about your brother's Plymouth Sundance really struck a chord with me because my dad had an 88 Plymouth Sundance and it had the worst paint job. <laughs> it flaked. You could drive it down the road and paint would just flake off this thing. And it was so bad that the way that the paint was peeling, it looked like a whole flock of seagulls flew over this car and just crapped all over it. <laughs> you know, that's in the pattern that the paint was peeling. It looked exactly like bird crap. And I was so embarrassed riding around that car getting dropped off at school. My God, <laughs> I'll never forget that. But, it, you know, if I could go back to my young, young self and go, hey, it's a Mopar. Hold your head high, young man. <laughs> I would have never done that. But um, still funny. That really struck a chord and brought back some funny memories for me. But, um, you know, it was funny. You were mentioning uh, being able to, you know, splice all these messages together that you sent me. But I never doubt my ability to piece together these messages. Okay. <laughs> um, I did think it was funny when you were talking about people challenging you to race and you considered it a win when they didn't show up. That's funny. That is something I would do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was really nice to hear your passion for that Daytona. And it really, you know, comes out in your story. So that's, that's awesome, man. I have those same passions for my Mopars and you know, I hope that I only have one that got away. You know, when it's all said and done, when I'm taking my last breath, I hope that I only had one Mopar that really, truly got away. And that was my 2001 Dodge Ram 2500 with the Cummins turbo diesel in it. Black, short bed, extended cab. I loved that truck. Man, I, I miss it every day. It was just really fun. And it had a leveling kit on it, so it wasn't a bro dozer or anything like that, but it was really cool. I like that truck. I miss it. But let's see. What else were you talking about? You, your barn find, the 65 Dart. That's pretty cool. I like I like that story. You know, it's always fun finding a barn find, you know, as long as it's a legitimate barn find. <laughs> Around here at Talking Mopars, we don't call barn finds barn finds unless they're found in a barn. <laughs> I'm just joking, but... The Super B, it's really cool because I've always wanted to buy a car on eBay. And I don't know how many people I've actually talked to that have done that. You know, maybe a few. But it sounds like an exhilarating thing because I've been to auctions in person. And that is like a rush. I don't know. Maybe it's the addictive personality that I have or something. But I love auctions. And man, if I ever had enough money to play with on eBay, I'd probably buy all sorts of fun stuff. You know what I mean? Sometimes I go on there and just look for Mopar memorabilia and stuff because that's all I can afford. But of course, I got to look at the cars and then I'm like, God, I would bid on that one. I'd bid on that one. You know, it's like I'd bid on all of them. You know what I mean? But very cool stories, man. Um, one thing that you said that really bothered me was you were talking about the $100 Valiant and you just glossed over the $200 340 you know, every time I see a 340, it's at least four figures, you know, a thousand bucks and up, uh, 200 bucks for a 340 is a steal. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody would argue with that except for maybe Johnny Mopar. Cause he gets all his cars for under hundred bucks, but, <laughs> um, very cool, man. Um, you did mention something about, 
you know, part of your job is you're going to places that a lot of people just don't see every day, you know, tucked away in neighborhoods and things like that. And being a garbage man, that's one of the best parts of my, that is the best part of my job. I'll say that. And what's funny is a lot of my friends at work know that I love Mopar so much that I, I mean, multiple times a week, I have guys sending me pictures of cars they see on their routes, you know, and a couple of those guys are newer drivers, so they're not used to all the routes. So they're seeing all these cars, some of the routes I haven't done, apparently, because I haven't seen some of these cars. And so it's, it's really cool getting the messages from my buddies at work, like, hey, have you seen this or check this one out. So that's, that's the best part about having a job where you're not stuck in an office or even in a shop all day. You know, the good thing about picking up people's trash is you're out and about and you get to see, you know, these cars tucked away. So that's a good thing for me. But, um, you know, it's not the cleanest or or best smelling job, but it pays the bills and it buys me a little bit of Mopar stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? But great stories, man. Um, like I said, I think you absolutely have the record for most voice messages ever left on talking Mopars and that is perfectly okay. I am not mad, annoyed or anything. I thought it was great. I thought it was funny. And, you know, for all of you listening out there, take, take a page out of Tad's book. It is okay to leave me multiple voice messages and you don't even have to worry about saying anything about it. Just leave the messages, you know, as long as you, uh, I can see whose number it is. So, um, I can't see names or anything like that, but if I see the same number, I know it's you. It's all right. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to warn me about another message or anything. Although I thought that was funny, Tad. It really made me laugh, man. Um, but just so you know, don't feel, don't feel bad for leaving me multiple voice messages. I enjoy it. You know why? Cause it's less reading that I have to do. You know, once I get one story out and I read it and it wasn't a train wreck that tells me that the rest are going to be train wrecks because I just, after a couple of them, I'm just beat. I just cannot read. I don't know what it is, but anyways, man, thank you so much for sending in your stories. That was a fun, that was a fun 12 message extravaganza tad. But uh, if you have any more stories, feel free, man. You know the number, 209-28-MOPAR. And you know what, Tad? You just helped me create the title for this episode. Episode number 58. The one-year anniversary listener story extravaganza episode. (laughs) So thanks, buddy. And thank you to everybody that has sent me their story or shared their story or come on the show over the past year. It's been a blast. There's two more stories that I have via voice message, but I'm going to save those for next week. One is from Jeremy from San Diego, and the other is from Nathan in North Carolina. I'm going to get to you guys on episode number 59. That way I have a couple stories to share on the next episode. And that, my friends, was the one-year anniversary listener stories extravaganza. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. Thanks for joining me on this one-year anniversary listener stories extravaganza show. Hopefully the first of many anniversary shows. I hope this podcast continues for many, many years to come. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I had a special announcement. That announcement is that next week, either Friday or Saturday, 
Johnny Mopar and I will be going live on Facebook and YouTube. So if you've ever wanted to be part of the show, you can comment live and interact with myself and Johnny Mopar. So be sure to tune into that. Uh, more on that to come. Just pay attention to my social medias and I'll be announcing the day and the time for that. So look forward to that and stay tuned. All right. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar Addicted Mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. My friends, if you've ever been looking for a cool way to support the show and get something cool at the same time, be sure to visit the Talking Mopars merch shop. There you can find cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. It's a great way to help the show and get some cool stuff at the same time. So go to TalkingMopars.com and follow the link to the merch shop. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.